program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Sydney Jacobson. Now, Sydney and I go, like, I know we've only known each other for maybe six years, but I just loved you from minute one. And if I remember correctly, we met at um, Brittany's event. Yes. You know, and I do remember how when I did my second TEDx talk, you came up from St. George and supported me in that. And you'd already heard me speak, so like, whatever. But you supported me in that because I was super scared to do it. Um, (laughs) Because it was on basically outing myself to the world that I'd overcome sexual abuse. And um, that was kind of like not something I had friends who didn't even know because it was a non-entity in my life. But the Me Too movement, I felt like I had to speak out. And so it was all kind of knew that I'm like, no, I'm not a victim. You big pooper for telling me that I am. And I know that connects with you a lot because um, I don't know how much I should spill about what I know about you, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anything that wants to come out will, and I'm not afraid of any of it. So, well, you, one of the things that I admire deeply about you is what you share on social media pretty openly. So I know I can go there. Cause you know, sometimes when you're talking to a friend, you don't want to be like, they're like, no, that wasn't part of my public persona. That's like the simmering hotness inside that just motivates me, you know? Um, but that you are a survivor of losing your spouse to suicide and, um, ugh. You write the most beautiful, amazing things to him and to your children, and you honor him. And you also talk about how mental illness is what, you know, I think if somebody were to read your posts and had what I would consider a medieval view of suicide, that they would read your posts and it would help them understand that it's no different than someone who died by a car accident or an illness or old age, you know, that it is something that is, um, it is real and we need to honor the battle and the victory, even if it ends earlier than we'd like. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah, let's dive right into that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, everybody get ready because it's about to get deep because it's Sydney yeah. and Lita you know, so it's, it's going deep. Okay. <laughs> well, and this one's really prevalent right now. It seems to be happening a lot, a lot more, at least it's a lot more public. I think, um, maybe people are actually verbalizing it where before it was kind of kept hush hush. No, which- I do think because I've looked at statistics on this and I'm not going to be the expert you are, um, or my friend, Lark Galley, you know, Lark Galley, mm-hmm. she's done a lot of work in this, but um, suicide rates have gone up exponentially, especially since COVID. Absolutely. And I think it's very much related to how, especially for our young people, that all these adults are at each other's throats. So when does life get better? Right. Especially, like you say, especially the young people witnessing what our world is going through right now. They're like, why do I want to grow up into that world? You know, like, if it doesn't get better from here, what's the point for sure? Um, and you know, since we're on that subject of the young ones, my, my youngest daughter, who's now 13 has struggled with suicide too. And she's struggled verbally. She's had the words behind the struggle since she was nine, um, and actively taken attempts since she was nine. And then we had a couple good years. And then this year she's really struggling again. Um, and I think that has to do with, with my health, which I shared with you right before we started recording, I'm, I'm going through a few health struggles. And so she's like, well, what's the point if mom's not going to be here and dad's gone. And I also lost a son, which is her brother. So she's like, everybody around me's dead and 
and you lost your son. Like I lost my daughter to, um, health problems as infants. So I just, I just didn't want people to be like, Oh my crap, how many, how many death by suicide is in this family? You know, uh, you know, I just wanted to clarify for the listener. Yeah. So there's, there's been a, a few deaths for sure around me, but, but going back to suicide and like really understanding the process, like living with someone that is suicidal and he was actively suicidal for, I mean, before I met him, but, um, much of our marriage and definitely, definitely the last six months or so we struggled a lot. And, um, just seeing it from his perspective of not, not, not seeing any other way out. Um, he knew he was loved. He knew, um, there was help out there but the world as a whole just seems so oppressing. And when you're, when you're struggling with that internally, like no, no matter how much something looks exciting or sounds exciting, or someone tells you that your life is valuable or you're loved can really get to that point. Unless, unless you're willing to um, make, let's see, drop the barriers and, and make those connections. Because I think that's what the, the world is really missing right now is the connection with people and understanding there's something outside of the now, right? There's Yeah, we're so connected, but we're not. Yes. Being. Right. We have like everything at our fingertips right here, you know, with technology and everything. But, but I think that puts layers between um, actual human connection. Right. Um, and especially again, as you said, with COVID and we had, you know, everybody separated, <laughs> separated physically, let alone, you know, all the other stuff behind all that. Um, and it just, it just becomes a lot, it just becomes a lot to, to take on, but, but knowing how much he really, really tried and really wanted to, to make it through his inner battles with what he was struggling with. Um, going to doctors, going to counselors, you know, coming to me, coming to our children saying, you know, I would never take my life because I couldn't leave my kids behind. And he knew the statistics of if he took his life, like it's a 50% higher chance for a child to take their life if a parent takes their life. So he's like, Cindy, I that. You say that you say the statistic and you're literally in the middle. I'm living to turn that around. Yeah. I feel like I made you cry. No, it's okay. Like I, I honor my tears now. I used to bury them so deep and so far, but our emotions are, are just energy and motion. So allow honoring that and letting that go. Is- I love how you said that there's, there's, cause there isn't any shame and feeling and it's psychologically healthy to let ourselves feel things in the moment. And again, that's a connection that a connection, because I, if we were in person, I'd be hugging you. Right. And I think, you know, and I think that that goes back to like to, to my husband a lot because he wouldn't show his emotion. Um, and I think that's what we're trained to do at such a young age, especially men, you know, it's like, get up, don't cry. Don't be a sissy, you know, don't cry like a girl. You're taught from a young age to bury your emotions. Mm -hmm. And when you go through life struggles, which we all do, we all have our traumas in one way or another. And he was no exception to that. He had quite a difficult childhood and, um, but taught to suppress all those emotions, you know, and then going through life and going through the motion of life. And then when we lost our son, like, I mean, he was struggling already, but he was able to kind of keep it at a balance, but then we lost our son to, um, SIDS when he was four months old. And my husband took that really, really hard. He took it really personally. Um, he felt God was punishing him and therefore I was being punished because of him. So, so he just took all of that weight of everything on himself and, but he wouldn't show his emotion and he wouldn't talk about it and he wouldn't share what he was feeling. And so he was just carrying all that. Um, and yeah, and eventually it just becomes too much. And that's, you know, that's why I really, really honor the emotions when they come up. And I, I 
you know, invite and encourage other people to share those emotions too. And, um, yeah, so, so knowing the struggle that he had and towards the end when it was very apparent, like he was taking attempts over and over and over again. Um, and what would he say? What, what was he saying? Cause he'd said earlier that he could never do that because of what it would do to his children. Right. So what was, was, I mean, just because you got to see something inside that not everybody, you know, I mean, that your perspective is different because, you know, we, we always have the, why, you know, I, I feel like suicide, I don't feel like they ever want to die. You know, maybe there's a few small percentage, but I feel like in general, it's just, they want the noise to stop, you know? But I've, um, outside Uh, of being a teenager, I have not felt suicidal. Right. You know, and I think, I think that can be different for, for many people in many ways, but I will say with my husband, he was having a lot of external, um, voices, uh, telling him like he was no good and, um, not, you know, he didn't deserve the airy braids and all these things. So we would label that in Western society as schizophrenia. And, um, he has that diagnosis in his family line. And, um, but my awareness of that has completely all shifted. I mean, I'm Western medicine and I'm a nurse. And back then it was like, Oh, you know, what is this? You know, schizophrenia is a mental illness. Well, I really feel like it's more of a thinning of the veil, um, where people that are sensitive can, can feel and see other, other energy. You're, you're saying like a thinning between like devil's type of thing. Cause an angel would not want to tell you you're poopy. Right. So, you know, as, as light as anything is, is as dark as it is. So as you know, if you're focusing on the light side, then that's, what's going to come in. But if you're focusing on the dark side and you can't see outside of that and you're punishing yourself because you feel, you know, Mm -hmm. you'd, that caused you to be this bad person, then that's, that's where your focus is going to be. But, um, well, I, I feel like we all have a great capacity for evil. We all have a great capacity for mental illness and they're not necessarily attached, right. but I know that if I allowed any thought that came into my head to take up residence and if my brain chemistry were, um, different, I mean, just yesterday, you know, I've, I've um, I'm down with foot surgery. You know, I just had foot surgery and I was frustrated because I wasn't getting things done, you know, as how I wanted. And I noticed that my breathing was getting shallower. And so I stopped myself and I was getting really, you know, feeling really angry about a lot of things. And so I stopped myself and started breathing, you know, and telling myself I could do it. It was okay. And I could do it with patience But if your brain chemistry doesn't let you do that as easily, it seems like so simple what I just did to kind of get me in a different mind frame. But if your brain chemistry is not letting you do it. Yeah. When you're in that place, it it just exactly like you and I, right. We have those tools and we have that cognitive ability. It's like, oh, okay. Take a deep breath, pause. This is just a moment. It'll pass. But, but you put me on drugs. (laughs) Right. Exactly. exactly. I'm not, I'm not as, um, uh, you know, my addiction runs in my family on one side and on the side that was religious, they never took it for generations. Mm-hmm. And so I have two siblings that are addicts and I, you know, it, they were hooked for minute one Yeah, and they're completely different people. And yes, they struggle with mental illness and yes, they struggle with a lot of things, but I'm like, I would be the same exact way. Right. If I let that, that in my life, that would just be a gateway for more craziness going on in my head. I don't want to say craziness. That was, that was not well stated. Um, chaos, discord, <laughs> chaos. Yeah. Cause I, I don't want to be like, the middle ages, you know, it was the devil that, you know, but I do think that when people die by suicide, that they are literally fighting their, their soldiers. And 
I, I look at them as like you would look at a veteran. Absolutely. You know, that, and if we did what they were battling every day and, and I have a very unique perspective on my husband because he, um, would try to write out on a notebook were saying to him and, and they were horrible, like just, and each entity that would speak to him had its language, its own verbiage and its own handwriting even. Wow. Imagine, I can't imagine having to listen to that every day and fight that every day. And, and constantly like just the beratement it was giving to him and telling him how worthless he was and that he needed to die and take his life and and things like that. Like, like it was courageous of him to actually do that. And so, so you ask the question of what that conversation was, is he did not want, he did not want to take his life. Um, But when he would get in that dark place with these voices and couldn't find a way out and they would like take, take almost take role. Um, and like I said, he was, he was making several attempts like over and over and he would try different ways and he would come back from each one and be like, Cindy, I will never do that again because, and he would have a different insight on each one. Um, and, and I believed him. I believed my husband when he would come to me and tell me these things. But, but when, when these voices and things would take over, he would, he would like separate from his consciousness, what we would, what we would call disassociation, right? Mm -hmm. So your conscious mind takes a back seat and these other beings or entities or whatever are, are more controlling of your thoughts and your physical, even your physical body. Right. Right. I heard it described one time. And I'm not going to explain it as well as this person did, but they said, you know how, when you're driving your car and sometimes you just show up at home and you're like, an autopilot, I don't remember what turns I took. Right. That, that it, that's kind of what it's like is that you are like, wait, what just happened? Right. But the stakes ironically are the same. Yep. Absent-minded driving you know, which we've all done. I could be absentmindedly driving in an intersection when a dump truck comes through and my chances of surviving in my Prius are not really high, you know, and the consequence could be just the same. And somebody might be like, oh, well, she wasn't a good driver. doesn't count for the thousand other times that I drove well. Right. You know, the hundred thousand other times, right. It was just that moment of and that's why I, I feel like we, at one hand, we need to normalize this so that there isn't shame, but not to normalize it to the point that it's like, oh, it's okay to lose the battle. Right. We don't want, we don't want to lose people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that is, that is a fine line also, um, because we, we don't want to lose people to it. And also if they're struggling as deeply as my husband was struggling, and I know so many are that, that take their life. It's like, who are we to make them continue that struggle? So, um, without, Hey, uh, no. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's suicide is so unfair prevalent in in my life like I had to come to this realization once I that had is it. so I just I'm sorry I have to sit with that for a minute that um <laughs> yeah go ahead I've I've had <laughs> I'm gonna I've, honor my feelings yeah. um the reason it hits me so deeply is because um we chose to let our daughter she wasn't breathing on her own and she was going to be electrocuted by her own body. And I don't, I am going to put this all in my book and talk more at it, but I don't want to take from, from our time, but I've had a lot of people that have been very unkind and cruel that like, if you're sad, your daughter died. Well, you're the one who chose to kill her. And it's like, no, I chose to remove life support. Right. That she was on so that she didn't die in a way that morphine couldn't touch. And so when you said that, 
it was like such this where intellectually I want to have this compassion to those that we lose with suicide. And you just did a straight line to, is this them on life support? Exactly. And so it just hit me um, because, you know, I'm thinking of your 13 year old. um, I'm thinking of those I love. Uh, Two weeks ago, we lost someone to um, the pass out challenge. And, you know, I, I don't think that was the intention of this young person. Um, and they have to be vague because they're not their their adults are not ready right. to talk about it and may never be. Um, and, you know, we, we have to talk about this. So we stop this, this hemorrhaging, but then you say that I, my mind is, my heart is like breaking with that. Well, yeah, I, I had to come to this awareness because I had another family member, um, in recent years that was struggling deeply with suicide and would call me, um, to rescue them and, or their, their significant other would call me to rescue them. And I was so good at it. I I did it for my husband for years. And um, eventually this person said to me, Cindy, why is it anybody else's choice? If I take my life, it's my life. I'm the one in pain. I'm the one struggling. Why do I have to stay here for you and you and you and everybody else? If I'm the one in pain and struggling. But advocate wise, no choice we make is in a bubble. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get that. And I think we have, we could argue this about many things in our society. Um, And that would be true if we lived on islands, right? You know, our own little individual island. Yeah. If we, if we relate it back to the physical, however, like if Mm -hmm. somebody struggling and suffering in significant pain and they just can't physically take that pain anymore and they want to end it. But yet I don't want them to end it because then I'm going to lose that person. You know, who am I to make them stay in that physical pain and mental pain? And our culture hasn't gotten to where we do euthanasia unless someone is on life support and we say, okay, I'm done. Yes. But, um, And for me, I think the answer um, is sticky for a lot of people because I, I know that my struggles and it feels so, I mean, I, I don't have a mental illness, so it seems so minimizing. Like if somebody had cancer and you're like, oh, I know I got a scratch on my arm one time, you know, like I totally, you know, um, you know, know what what that feels like, you know, it feels like I'm minimizing, um, but I know that the struggles I have had and that I've overcome, like being molested, the bearing of my child, um, having a, a childhood that, um, I'll just, I'll just leave it with that, uh, that I've overcome have brought me so much joy and resilience. And I've met so many people that are proud to say they've overcome that, that I feel like spiritually the, there is value in learning to overcome and there is reward in that, but true, nobody can make us do it. So on that and diving deeper, how did you overcome those things? How are you able to overcome those? Well, and again, this is sticky for a lot of people, but for me, it was about the atonement of Jesus Christ, that I believe that Christ suffered and died so that I could give the things that are too big for me to him. Okay. But you can't just tell people, I mean, there's, there's a million steps obviously of good therapy and good, you know, mental exercises and all of that, but you can't, it seems so simple and rude to say that's been this ultimate solution for me, but it, you know, it came back to that. If I am loved uh, by a divine being, I am worthy of learning the things I have to learn. And if this is my path of struggle, 
on the other side, there is something magnificent and I am worth the work between those. And, you know, that's, that's a faith principle, right? Like it is what it is, but I can have more and you can't give that to anyone else. So that goes back to that moment where you're on that phone with your friend and they're saying, why won't you just let me not have faith in this? Right. So, um, let, let me finish that thought. And then I want to come back to, to how we overcome what, what we go through, um, personally, how I've personally done it. And, and I, you have some similar stories too, but, um, so on that phone call, when this person said this to me, I had to sit with that and I'm like, you know what, you're right. Who am I to make you struggle and make you stay here? Like, for me or anybody else. I'm like, I love you enough that I will sit here with you and talk you off that ledge. And I love you enough. I will sit here with you while you make your choice. If you do that, um, if you choose to go over that ledge, I, I love you enough that I trust you with you. And it was giving this person back to themselves. Yeah. They're like, wow, I have the ultimate power over me. Like before it's this battle, right? Like, I don't want to live, but you're making me live. So I I'm fighting. Yeah. With, which with goes it. back to you as a human have value, which is kind of what is a core for me. Yeah. But, but you do have, yeah. It's taking away the conflict of it. Right. It's like and raising teenagers. Exactly. And the more, you have to let them, um, you know, the, uh, what do they say? Oh my goodness. I can't think of the words right now, but, um, psychologically, like if you tell someone they can't do it, they're going to do it anyway. Or if you say, yeah, no worries, do what you want. Then they're like, wait a minute. Do I really want to do that? Oh (laughs) yeah. But that's a pretty big thing to, right. When you you love someone. Yeah. Love them enough and to trust them enough and to know that that's what they need, you know, to, to trust, to, to know that they have ultimate control over themselves. Cause they do. And relating that to my daughter. Cause as soon as I said that to that person, that person has not struck, like this was a constant, like every other week thing and in wow. the calling police to, to take weapons away and like just a constant battle until those words were said. And that permission was given back to this person of their own me. And so yeah. when I, when I sat with that and processed that, I'm like, well, what does that mean for my own daughter? And my daughter was 10 at that time. And I'm like, well, I can't do that with my daughter. She's my daughter. I have to protect her no matter what, you know, like I have to save her. And so, um, you know, and, and just processing all this and, and what she's going through again now recently with, with my health, she's, she's taken an attempt at her life. She was in the hospital just a few weeks ago for a couple weeks or a week and a half. Um, and I, you know, as her mom and as family that loves her as everybody, we do everything we can to support her, to love her, to get her counseling, to get her anything she needs. So she's not feeling this way. And she's also under the age of consent. Absolutely. You know, she can't, her brain is not in a place where she can make, which is why I attribute that I was suicidal as a child. One, mm-hmm. my circumstances, we didn't even have a word for it then. You know, I don't even remember that we called it suicide. Right. I just remember that I wanted to die and was trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah. You know, and, um, and I, that I, you know, because I got older, I feel like that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, that I don't think about, I don't think that way anymore. You know, that my circumstances changed and that my brain chemistry changed. Brain chemistry changed. And I I wasn't in trauma anymore. You know, and I'm so thankful that, um, it didn't happen. And I I like to think the people who know me are glad, you know, so that's why when it comes to a child, it's like, no, you don't get that choice. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you, like, I've talked to that say the very same thing. Like, well, when I was a teenager, I wanted to die too. And, you know, so many people say that and it's true. As you grow up, you do gain a, a greater perspective. Um, and right now the reality is like, she's in, in her perspective of her teenage years and her trauma and losing a dad and losing a brother and having the, I mean, my, you see me here right now and I look great, but I was on bed rest not so long ago because of my health struggles. So, so she's really going through, um, this loss and grief. And like, I don't want to lose one more person and I would rather yeah. die than persons. 
So having said all this, like knowing, like we're putting all these support systems in place and she knows how much she's loved and she knows she's like, mom, the only reason I haven't done this so far is because I, I don't want to put you through that again. I don't want to hurt you that way again. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's, um, it probably feels like enabling to her at this age. Yeah. And, you know, and, and no matter how much, how many road stops or how much support or how much, you know, anything we put in place outside of putting her in a padded room and keeping her locked up. If she really wants to do this, she, it, it could potentially happen. And, you know, she'll find that little window, that narrow window, which she has, thankfully it hasn't been severe enough to, to end her life, but it's like, I've had to surrender within myself. It's like, okay, like I have done everything I can do and I have to just trust if that's God, if that's higher self, if that's whatever it is, I have to trust that things are going to be okay. However, however it happens. And obviously I pray that she's healthy and she stays with us. And, and also I have to know that if something does happen, that I have to be okay with it because it's outside of my control. Right. And, you know, that's, um, you know, what I went through with my daughter that, um, ultimately I was given a choice, but it was still out of my control. And your son that died of SIDS, you know, a complete shock where I had, um, you know, 11 months of this could happen, you know, that my child could die and, and the preparation mentally, I think does help in the process of, it's like, you know, when people have a divorce and their marriage was bad before. So by the time the divorce actually happens, they're further along in this process of acceptance. Right. When it's a complete surprise, like this one that we just lost two weeks ago, um, tomorrow, two weeks ago, tomorrow, um, you know, there was, there was no mental game of trying to prep for this. And what you're putting out there is so high level of almost a submission to what life has to give. It's, it's probably why you keep breathing. It's, it's the only way I can. Right. Um, Especially, you know, like going through so many different, different traumas and experiences with death and you know the experience with my husband where he was attempting over and over it gives you that mental preparation versus the experience of losing my son to SIDS where he was perfectly healthy when I laid him down and gone a few hours later yeah um you just have to know like everything there's for me personally it's, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I know that sounds so cliche. Well, and it even, even makes people angry when they hear that because they're like, well, why? And I think that goes back to your expectation of what is the purpose of life. And I've, I feel like I've found that for me, but it's a faith thing. Yeah. And you can't just like open up people's hearts and heads and like stuff it in there, (laughs) you know? find that for themselves, you know, whatever that is. And for me, I have a faith that's outside of religion, but I have, I do have a faith in that. And I, and I even said after my son passed, I'm like, you know, obviously like this is the hardest thing ever, but I had to believe for myself that things happen for a higher purpose. And I'm like, I may not ever get to know what that purpose is and it may not ever feel fair, but I know what happened for a reason, whatever that reason is. And now I can look back and I can see so many beautiful, beautiful things that have happened and come into my life that wouldn't have Mm -hmm. had he, and do I, would I say I would trade those? No, I wouldn't trade those ever. I don't have that choice. So I get to choose to, to look at the beautiful things that have come since. And, um, 
And I wanted to circle back around because I don't know how much time we have left, but back around to um, when I asked you, like, what helped you get through your traumas and your childhood traumas and, and you put that into faith and religion. Um, I also feel like, because this is part of your calling doing these podcasts, right. And connecting with people is actually sharing your story and releasing that and not holding on to it and suppressing it and burying it. And I think that's where so many people get stuck. Like even, even my husband, like he had so much severe trauma from a childhood that he never talked about. He never talked about it even to me. I know about it from his family members Um, and found out about after he passed. Um, And it was severe, severe trauma to, to him. And I feel like if we can normalize talking about our traumas and sharing our emotions, instead of suck it up and bury it and don't cry, you sissy and um, ignore it and move on. It's in the past. Like, yeah, it's in the past and Mm -hmm. everything else, but, but we have to actually acknowledge it so we can let it go. If not, we store it in a trap of our cells inside of our bodies and it unconsciously drives us in our everyday i i love this so much because um there's this lie in religion circles right that that i actively combat when i'm asked to go into um speak at church groups that if you do everything right then your life will work out as it should And the challenge I put forward to people is I say, what scriptural story, what scripture person, you know, I mean, if you're a member of my faith, we have lots of extra scriptures, you know, on top of the Bible, but you can't find one Bible story or other scriptural story where the hero of the story had everything go well for them. And the ultimate hero in Christian scripture was killed and he was perfect. So why do we think that if our lives have bad events, that we're bad? And if our lives have good events, then we're good. It's right. a lot, it is. right? And, you know, it goes back to, you know, what we're talking about, you know, ultimately with all of this, you know, you, your rock of hotness today was, you know, perspective that you're just saying, surrender, like, let it be. And that, if that is the greatest form of faith, that we could ask a human to do because we want to control things because we have the fallacy that we are somehow in control. Right. Absolutely. And that is, that's the biggest facade. We have absolutely no control. And that's, you know, going back to what I was saying about, you know, my daughter, if she chooses to take her life and with my husband, like I, I can't tell you how much guilt I and held on to forever thinking like, well, maybe if I had just done this and maybe if I had just done that, but like looking back and giving myself grace, like I did everything I could, you know, as well as else in our awareness. Um, but we all take that on personally, like, especially, especially with a suicide, we're like, oh, well, if I had just called that person that day or I, had a thought about them the day before and I didn't call them and it was my fault because I didn't do that. And it's like, no, like that's, yeah. Well, and even uh, my daughter had a conflict with somebody and then they um, later, you know, um, anyway, they threw out to their caretaker um, that they were, they were going to probably commit suicide now. And so the caretaker calls me and I'm like, whoa, We are not, she's like, it's just, she's just threatening. It's just, you know, a a Trump card. And I'm like, but what if it's not? So I'm like, put this person in a therapist, emergency room, something. And of course they're like, I didn't mean it. And I'm like, well, don't threaten it. Right. Right. And so, you know, that, that's where my passion is now is, is helping people, um, helping people be able to surrender to their selves and their traumas because we've all been through them. And again, like I say, we're taught to bury our emotion. We're taught to move on from, from our pain. And, um, so many people are like, oh, well I've healed from that. 
well, if you really had, it wouldn't still be coming up for you in different ways. And so, and I, I do that with different modalities with like breath work and trauma healing and things like that. Um, but when we can really get down to the root of it and especially, you know, I mean, it's in every, it's everywhere. So I don't want to say one or another, but right now in my awareness is the masculine because, you know, we've had this huge feminist movement and like, we don't need men because we can make our own money and we can do this and we can do that. So then the men are like, well, where's my place? (laughs) And they're bearing their traumas. So, so which which is so funny because we've literally, I've been jokingly call it feminine, you know, misogyny, femogyny. You know, that we have become as a culture with women of suppressing men. Mm-hmm. And that is not empowerment. That's dominion. Exactly. And exactly. that was the day before I put the post up that led to love me too, that I basically, they were all like, you know, 2019, the year of the woman. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Because I don't want my power because I suppress someone else, you know? Absolutely. Um, you know, we looked down on slavery, you know, that it happened and it was literally looking at someone as less than you made you okay with the concept of slavery. And people are like, how did people live with that? And like the same way we live with it today, there's more people in slavery than have ever existed. You know, we're dealing with so many big things and, you know, the idea that we should be able to solve all of it. We just have to solve the problems within our own self and try to, you know, move that to those that we love. Right. Absolutely. And we only can, we only can heal ourselves too. And like, like, um, and just going back, if I, if I can share with anybody out there that's listening and wondering how they could potentially help somebody with suicide, it's help them put words behind what's really bothering them. Like what is the, what's the real pain source and where is it coming from? And, you know, with, with, um, my husband, I had no idea. I had no idea the pain that he was really suppressing only at the very end. Did I realize like he was carrying the weight of the loss of our son feeling it was his fault. Um, but he was through his journals that you were able to kind of uncover all of that or. Yeah. But he had pain over all the years from childhood that were building up and he had taken different attempts at different periods of his life. Um, it was just, that was the compounding thing towards the end that it was just, I I feel like we flirted around this. I want to say it clearly that when, um, you know, if, if you struggle with something that makes you normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. the, The fallacy and the lie that, you know, the Instagram life that, you know, just looks so perfect, you know, Right. That we think everyone else is okay and that there are no struggles. Right. And we, you know, you and I will never be over the death of our children. You'll never be over the death of your husband. Um, but we figure out how to move forward with that weight. Yes. And that's given us some muscles that we don't want. But, but we also wouldn't train them for the world. You know, I heard an analogy once and it said, if everybody came into a room with a backpack of all of their struggles and we dumped it all out on the floor and you saw everybody else's, you would take your own back and army before you picked up somebody else's, you know, and it's funny because I've had like chapter two of that is because I'm pretty open about mine. And I know you are pretty open about yours that I've had people say, well, I would take your life if I had your money if I had your success and I'm like, you know, it's not enough money, (laughs) you know, um, it's, it's not enough, but that they know what my struggles are, but they see something outward that they think they would price higher than that. And that is a very interesting trap, right? Because at what point would you be willing to trade? I, I feel like it's a reversal of love. Yeah. That the only way it wouldn't hurt is if I didn't love. Yes. And I would have to be a very different person. And so when people say that kind of thing to me, I think you would, you would exchange the death of your child for the ability to have people clap for you. Right. I mean, that's essentially what they're saying because that's where they're seeing me. They're seeing my, you know, me as a speaker. Right. And the funny thing is, I don't like applause. 
mm-hmm. because that's not why I do it, yeah. you know? And, um, and it's, it's an interesting thing that we think we know something, but we cannot have that level of empathy, sadly, until we have gone through something like it. And isn't that interesting? Cause that goes back to my, what I believe the purpose of life is that is we are designed to become more, right. more than we were when we were born more than we were when we were 10, 20, 30. And that I believe that heaven is a continuation of learning and becoming yeah. more and that we never, and you know, people who don't believe in a heaven, but believe in energy, it sounds like the same thing mm-hmm. that your energy keeps evolving into a greater light. Right. It's just, you know? a, yeah, I agree, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I've had those very same words spoken to me from somebody very close to me. You and you're know, like, that hurts. Um, it's like, when you know that I buried a kid, when you, you know, like I buried a husband, I buried a child, I, you know, so many, so many other things that we won't even get into. And it's like, oh, your life is so much easier than mine. And I'm like, but is it like, because and I, you, and it's this minimization exercise of just looking at the surface, mm-hmm. which is exactly why I wanted to bring it up is because you were saying the way you, that, you know, if you're talking to, you said, if somebody is listening, you need to stop covering your feelings. Right. Absolutely. And if we keep looking at our problems or other people's problems as not really a big deal, we are minimizing not only those challenges, but that person. And we're doing it to ourselves is even worse. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in the, in the case of my daughter, I'm putting words behind that when, when it's a child, it might be, you know, the scary thing, even as a parent, it might be the easiest thing to do. So like with her, like I knew she was worried I was going to die. And to be honest, not so long ago, I was worried I might die. I don't feel that way anymore. But at the time when she was really struggling, um, I'm like, what, what is really happening? What's, what are you really worried about? And she wouldn't say, and I didn't want to say it either because it was very real and it was very real for me at that time. And so I just finally just said it out loud and I'm like, what? I die and like laughed about it. And then she started giggling and then we were able to like put words behind it and talk about it. So, so intuitively, if it's somebody that you love, that you care about, that's struggling. And even, you know, even if you're not sure what it is they're struggling, like maybe just start throwing some things out, maybe even something worse than you think it might be. So, so they feel safe to actually verbalize. Which is, also something we've kind of hit on is the the power of how of shame yes and i believe that those feelings are always from he who is poopy yes because i believe when god or light sends you you need to do better there's hope attached to it that you can yes right and so it's not the same emotion we would describe as shame shame is very low vibration energy. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it, it, isn't it, isn't it the lowest vibration and hope the highest vibration? Yes. So is it's like, doesn't even feel the same to the molecules in your body. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and for those who haven't seen that study, it was out of um, Japan, Nigen or something, the Nigen study or something like that. Is that what you're referencing? Where they, um, they measured the vibration of water that they spoke to right, 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 and yeah, the I molecules think. literally change shape or yes. one, they said, you're awful. You're, you're poopy. You know, they said you're poopy. They didn't say that, but you know, they, you know, mean words. Right. And then the other, they were like, you're so capable. You're so amazing. Loved, yeah. And that the molecules literally from the same source changed and altered by how they were spoken to. But of course these molecules don't have a will. Right. We don't have a consciousness. We don't consider water molecules life. We do right. consider, you know, an animal, a human, you know, and I think dogs and cats, mentally handicapped water. people are here to teach us what a reflection of what we've given them. If you mean a mean dog, that's because somebody was mean to that dog, you know, right. and Absolutely. you mean a loving dog. It's because they were, they were treated kindly. You know, 
And so to teach, to reflect to us what the world has given and to just make us think, what do I want to put out there? Yeah. Yep. Boy, we went deep. We did. Wow. Yeah. Any other deep thoughts you want to share? Deep thoughts by Cindy. For those of you Saturday Night Live from the eighties, you're welcome. <laughs> um, you know, I, there's nothing that's coming to me other than just, you know, don't, don't hold back and don't hide your emotions, you know, and feel safe in, in letting go of whatever your biggest fear is. Cause once you let it, like, once you bring it to light there, it's almost silly, you know, like my daughter and I laughed about it and it just like released the struggle of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's they the boogeyman's scary when he's over here and you don't look at him. And as soon as you look at him, it's like, Oh, that's just a guy in a clown mask, you know, and it's no big deal. Right. And even if it is something that's scary, like death, um, you know, you, you have to find your, your faith, your hope, right. you have to, you know, okay. That so isn't the answer, right. If anything else deep from me, and since you touched me, you went there, I will share one, one deep thought from Cindy. So having experienced so much death and actually, um, almost not being here myself a few times, having some experiences myself, my perspective on death is completely shifted and altered. And so this is, this is what I like to share with people. Like, you know, when um, an expectant mother's pregnant and everybody's very excited for that baby to come and just can't wait, can't wait for this little baby so they can love on them and hug them and just enjoy life with them. But the baby's in the womb and the baby doesn't know anything other than the womb. That's their life at that point. And Uh all of a sudden there's these contractions and this pain and this discomfort and, you know, earthquakes and all these things. And then they're shooting down the birth canal and it's extremely painful for them. And they don't know what's happening. Their world as they know it is changing and they're terrified because they don't know what's on the other side of that now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, and yet, yet when they come out and they're like, Oh, this is amazing. Like take their first breath and open their eyes and like see all, you know, all these loved ones around them, just ready to nurture them and love them. And, and I liken death to that, you know, like we, we've had our existence here in this life form and whatever time it's ready for us to go, we have loved ones waiting. They're so excited. They, they don't want us to come too early. Cause you know, the too early is, is not good for the baby. It's but not when, what is like, what you were saying is who's to decide wins early. Right. Exactly. When it's yeah. our time. And once we go to the other, the other side of this existence of the baby in the womb of this life form, like there's something amazing there too. So it's not, you know, I, of course I honor this life and, and I will live it as long as I'm given it. And also when it's time to go for me or anyone I love or anybody else, I know that it's not scary either. It's going to be, a yeah, beautiful- I, it's scary. For, it's scary for us left behind. Right. It's scary for the loading, floating around the amniotic fluid, you know? Um, but I do, I would be remiss if I didn't add my knowledge to that because I, I often joke that my third child is the most bossy of my children because I've had enough interactions with her yes. that either I am crazy or they happened. There is nothing in between. And that, um, I do know, like one time I had a friend who was like, I just wish that I could just know there was something more, but I'm not like you, Lita. I just don't know it. And she was in a really dark place and I was really worried. So when I got to my car, because I just didn't feel like I'd been able to help her, which I have no doubt you felt that way. And, um, she does, does, does struggle with mental illness. So I was really worried, you know, to leave her. And I was just like, Hey, Caitlin, if you could like, you know, just maybe send someone over, you know, like, God, that'd be really awesome. If you did that, she calls me a few minutes later and she goes, what did you do? And I'm like, what? And she goes, what did you do? And she goes, that was a violation of my privacy. And I'm like, 
I, I'm like, did she think I posted about our conversation or something? Like I could not figure out what she was upset about. And she goes, your daughter just came and visited me. And she shared what my daughter shared with her, which, you know, forgive me for being private in this format. If it were just you and I I probably would share, but it was so clear that it was my daughter who went. And it was just like, if I hadn't believed and that actually put her on a, a process of having faith in her life. And it doesn't look exactly like my faith, but it is faith. And I, I was so happy that because there is a greater joy in living of knowing that there is more. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) this is, I, I have very many experiences with my son and my husband and, and my mother, I mean, my mother and father both passed at 67 recently too. So I've had a lot of experiences of, of family members from the other side, but I do have a brother that is atheist. And I'm like, he, and he's said similar things to me. It's like, I just, no, that's not, you know, I haven't had my own experience. So, you know, unless it happens to me, like whatever, you know, like he doesn't. Well, there was an apostle who was the same way. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with not you don't have to believe it's just those of us who do believe something we're like, no, it's, it's, it does make life better. (laughs) You know? And that's what I've said to him. I said, well, what am I out? First of all, I I know because I've had my own experiences, but I can't share those with anybody else. And, and um, if they have them, then great. But if, if he doesn't like he fully does not believe in anything else. I said, what does it hurt to believe there's something else? Because if not, you, you know, it, it hurts more to not know, but if I'm dead, I'm dead. And there's nothing else then who cares. But right now it gives me hope. It gives me faith. It gives me something to hold on to where like when, when our mother passed this last, um, year and a half, uh, that really rocked his world, you know, cause he's just like, you know, nothing else once she's gone. And so I feel sad for him in my heart that he, you know, but, but that's his, it's his choice, but it's like, it, what does it hurt to have faith? What does yeah, it hurt? Like I, like I said, there was an apostle, you know, doubting Thomas, you know, who didn't believe. Um, but was he a bad person? No, he just like, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the tomb unless I see it. Right. And so I think there'll be a pleasant surprise. Right. Know, people, but I don't think God will be punishing people because at least your brother is saying what his truth is. Absolutely. And as long as we're not imposing, like I have people who've gotten mad at me for believing. I'm like, look, you can believe what you want to believe, but right. don't say I don't have the right to believe what I want, you Oops. know? Um, and so, but at least he's living in integrity. And so I respect that. Yes. Absolutely. They're in integrity. And I would rather somebody be an atheist than somebody be a false religious person. Absolutely. That, you know, was molesting children on the side, you know? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Integrity is, is a, is a rock of hotness. (laughs) Living full integrity, full alignment is the hottest you can get. (laughs) Exactly. That's just hot, you know? Um, Okay. We're going to have to have you on again because every single time I've ever interacted with you, my friend, it was like, I feel like you just go deep right away. And um, I, I just, from the minute we met, I feel like we deeply connected and I've always been thankful for your willingness to do that. And I put out, that's one of the, the, the gifts you've gained from the darkness you've had to walk through in your life. So thank you for living fully and doing that. Thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on. I love talking to you. So, well, I'm sure the listeners will be like, we want Sydney back, you know, so, um, we'll make sure in the show notes to have people, um, know how to find you. You do amazing things. We didn't even get into anything you do professionally, but just trust me, people, she's a rock star, um, finder on social media. And, um, thank you for all the good you are in the world. And I'm going to be putting light and love and sending for your help and for your daughter. Thank you. Thank you big hugs and I don't always end these with a tearful sound in my voice (laughs) Uh, thank you for being um, those that are listening to being on this episode of share your hotness
The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.